Welcome to Markitecture, where you can get smart fast with in-depth interviews of leading technology vendors. I'm Mike Shields, and I'm here with Ed Davis. He's the president of product and operations at OpenAP. Hey, Ed, thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. It's great. Excited to talk to you. Let's start with a big, important question that's probably challenging because it's a, you do a lot of things, but what does OpenAP do? Well, that industry is going through an incredible transformation right now with the deprecation of C3, C7. So what that practically means is all audiences are going to be ID-based audiences. Things that you normally used to think, oh, that's just demo or, you know, this is an advanced audience because it's based on a very specific definition of a particular set of viewers. It's all ID-based audiences very soon. So we have a platform and we offer a, a host of services that really aim to take the sting out of going to ID-based audiences. Everything from onboarding and activating audiences for use across multiple currencies to forecasting based on a common ID in the background so that you can tie things together when they were executed through disparate currencies and platforms. And all of the measurement at the backside, collecting all the data on exposures, making that data available for use in measurement. All right. That's really what we do. We aim to make things simple, even as things are becoming a lot more complex with ID-based audiences being the norm now. I want to get into some specifics about how that works and, and practicality and the different products you have supporting that mission. But let's just cover off a couple of basics at OpenAP. When, when, how long has OpenAP been around and where are you based? So OpenAP was founded really six years ago, 2017, but the first full-time employee was officially brought on in 2019. Okay. So it started off as a consortium, the ad sales chiefs from the TV programmers getting together to have an honest discussion about what could be standardized and what still needs to be differentiated between them. And right. that really worked well. In 2019, our first employee, and from then, it's been going like gangbusters. We have 30 people now. Because we're a company that really got its start right at the beginning of the pandemic, we really had to lean into a lot of remote working disciplines, and we have people all over. I mean, obviously, we have a very heavy presence in New York, mm -hmm. and we have a very heavy presence in Los Angeles, which is technically where our headquarters are, it's where our primary offices and where we get our mail. But we've got folks all over the country and we've had to create some pretty interesting mechanics in order to keep a brand new team really aware of each other, maintain that line of sight that you get from being in an office and just overhearing what everyone's struggles are. Right. So we've worked very hard to, to create the company culture in spite of the fact that remote seems to be a key part of sort of how we operate. And of those 30 folks, are they mostly ad sales, engineering? What does the makeup look like? We've got quite a footprint on the product and tech side. You know, it's all relative, but mm -hmm. I would say things are weighted more towards the operational aspect. Okay. With product, technology leaders, folks responsible for the revenue generating services and all the relationships with clients and different technology uh, providers that go into kind of operating those services. Okay. And you mentioned OpenAP was founded as a joint venture. Can you catch us up today on what the ownership structure looks like? Yeah. 
It was a consortium of, uh, initially a consortium, uh, meeting, I think, quarterly of the ad sales chiefs from across the various networks. Now, as a company, we've got NBCU, Paramount, Fox, WBD, Invested, uh, members of the board, driving roadmap technology, business, and also contributing a lot of what makes their data set so valuable for use in, in the data hub. Uh, which I know we'll talk about soon. We also have a, a, an investment from Snowflake, and we have a pretty good, deep relationship with Snowflake. So one of the things that having them get involved did was allowed us some early access and really the early access to software and also really getting some interlocked arms on making sure that some of our ideas for how we would kind of push some of those software services from Snowflake and a little bit more provocative direction, just ensuring that even though the documentation appears to suggest things could work this way, we need to make sure we're dealing with massive data sets and the stakes are pretty high. So we've we've really enjoyed that partnership with Snowflake. Okay. Let's get into products. I know OpenAP has evolved quite a bit since it was founded. And I, as you mentioned, it was about common definitions. And then, you know, I think eventually, I think over time, there was an attempt at a marketplace. Now there's a, there's a data hub product. Can you kind of give us the lay of the land of the key products right now and what categories you compete in if you do? Yeah, there's been a big change over the last year, year and a half. It might be interesting for people to understand. We spent the early part of OpenAP amassing access to as much of this valuable data as we could. And whether that was time spent doing what I would call traditional crosswalks. So funny to have to qualify crosswalks now. It's like traditional versus kind of newer ways. It happens so fast. Uh, whether it was getting the right crosswalks in place so we could interoperate with IDs, you know, licensing or creating opportunities for data owners to make their data available to buyers in the service of creating audiences, you know, Epsilon, Axiom, you know, different, different data providers. So we spent all of our time you know, amassing our ability to leverage this data to produce things that we give to our customers. We produce a final campaign report that is the product of our crosswalks and APIs with the various currency providers. We produce an audience insight view on an audience that you've created with us that tells you the makeup and the location in the country where those folks are and other behavioral characteristics. But we were taking all this data and we were producing the deliverable and then we were sending it out. And what we realized is that this data is a product. And we couldn't really think of it that way until all of these very secure ways to allow PI data to be accessed and operated on without ever being revealed. And that sounds like magic, but everybody here will understand that, you know, Snowflake and, and providers like that have created these methods now, these technology methods, which can be used to get access to this data without violating even the spirit of the privacy legislation. When that happened, it became possible for us to think of data as a product too. Yes, we love having access ourselves and we feel like we're smart people and we can create valuable things out of this data, but that's sort of an artificial limiter on what kind of innovation can happen. So we started to transform the way we thought about it. Yes, we're going to produce things and we're going to provide them, and we always will, but getting an agency access to the same granular data that we used 
to create this thing that we send to them and letting them have access to it in a secure, privacy-centric way so they can build their own things on it. They can combine it with other insights that they, that they have put together as a company and start to analyze data, not just analyze the, a report that we might send them. When that happened, it became pretty clear we needed to double down on a platform that we could use that would allow people to have access to this underlying data. We had to develop a, a new platform, which we announced called the Data Hub. We had to have an environment where we could offer not just access to perform the functions that a customer would like to perform, defining an audience, activating it, making a Nielsen or a Comscore or a VideoAmp version of that, looking at sizing of iSpot expression of the audience. We needed ways for them to do that really easily, but we also needed ways for them to access the underlying data and take advantage of Snowflake when that may be required by whoever owned that data. So we spent a lot of time building out the data hub. That's kind of the table stakes for us now, having this platform that we build and release everything through going forward. And it sounds like you partner with a lot of the key third-party sources of data in the ad industry, particularly with television. But is there a natural competitor to the data hub? Like, would it be... I don't know, a, a transfusion or experience of one of those kind of companies, or is there somebody else I'm not thinking of? What category are you in there? I promise you this isn't my attempt to try to give you a clever answer that doesn't actually answer the direct question. But <laughs> in my view, the biggest competitor that we, we have is the consolidation. As we see things consolidate, that eliminates choices from everyone involved. That's the competition. There's a natural tendency to want to lock things down so they're predictable, but that is done at the expense of maintaining the ability to mix and match different solutions in different environments. None of these technology providers are perfect in all of these environments under all of these circumstances. There are specialties. And so you want the ability as a buyer or a seller to use the most appropriate solution in the environment where you're needing to have performance. And so all the work that we're doing aims to eliminate this dynamic where you can lean in and invest in one technology company's solution, but that's being done at the exclusion of your ability to work with others or to enjoy the same level of sort of visibility on what's happening with your business when you're mixing and matching. So our goal really is to make it possible for everybody to maintain their ability to make choices while anchoring all of that continuity with the open IDs. And there's no religion about who we'll work with. We have basic requirements for how you participate with us, but we crosswalk with tons of people. We, our goal is to offer ID resolution and translation services with almost anybody that wants it. We truly are an open platform, and I feel like it's a little safer to lean in with us because you want that flexibility. Our customers do, anyway. And who, who is a typical customer? Or are there a couple of examples in different categories that are worth mentioning? Well, we view both the... TV programmers and the buyers as customers. We provide services to both. So you might have a Paramount as a big, important customer, NBCU, and we'll provide them with services that are designed to help them process audiences faster, 
interact with different data providers through us without having to necessarily stand up really complicated business arrangements. And we're basically a partner for them in trying to shine a light on the areas of the industry, which are pretty dark and costing everybody you know, money and time, right? So how does this partner, this particular partner household, and why does the way they do it create such friction downstream when I'm using this particular partner to try to do my cross-platform measurement? There's a lot of people out there that are coming out and saying, we have the solution, use us and use only us and everything gets better. Well, gosh, I could say that too, right? But it's much harder for us to say, we know exactly how all of these things work. And without making judgment necessarily on whether or not this makes sense for you right now and what you're trying to do, we just want to show you and explain it to you. And I think that's the role that requires the most understanding across the industry on how different things get complicated. And it requires the most discipline in how you're serving your customer. You want to give them the information. You want to partner with them to help make decisions if that's the type of partnership they want. Otherwise, they may just want to understand it and they'll take it from there and tell us what they want us to do. Either way is fine with us, but that's what that's what our aim is really, understanding and then sharing that understanding and then building services on top that make leveraging that understanding really efficient when you're trying to make an audience, figure out where which platforms you want to run on or tie together exposure events after the fact across multiple platforms. On the buy side, is this mostly for big brands, traditional TV advertisers? Could this be for, you know, a very broad cross-section of brands? Who is this kind of big for big spenders, I guess? And is this mostly U.S. or not necessarily? It's U.S. I think that it's not mostly for big spenders. Big spenders have the benefit of having a lot of history that, you know, if they have a good way for them to consider that history as they're making decisions now, that's like an extra dimension of value for, for more regular purchasers of TV, media, digital, or linear. But for people who might, you know, not stack up in terms of level of investment as some of the big ones, they have all the same challenges. And in fact, when you're small, the stakes are a lot higher. You know, you can't afford to make too many missteps. I mean, you really need to make sure that your dollar is going where you want it to go. So it's the same problem set, and we take it as seriously whether or not it's a small client who's maybe just hitting a minimum with a particular programmer or whether it's somebody who's committed millions of dollars to upfronts for the last decade. You know, they all have mm-hmm. the same problems, and we don't really think of how serious we take things based on the size. So it's kind okay. of like the same set of services for sure. everybody. Yeah. I wonder if I could, we could maybe talk through a, a theoretical use case and tell me if I have this, uh, the way I'm thinking about this is the right way. This might be a simplification, but is this, would, would a brand that wants to reach, you know, moms who might be in the market for a minivan, let's say, and they want to make sure they do that consistently across five different networks, and they want to make sure that they use a specific measurements vendor to help them track on the back end, and you, they don't want to make have partnerships with all these folks, would that be something that you would help them f- define that and find those audiences everywhere and then track them? Or is that a simplification of what you offer? That's one element of what we offer. So that brand would come to us and they could either say, I've got a segment, I defined it, it's sitting at this DMP, and I want to use it in a conversation with Paramount and NBC about linear. Or they could come to us and say, 
I want Moms with Kids Under Two in the home. Can you help me put together a good audience that I could use in transactions? And we can engage that way. Regardless of how we engage the result, there is an audience that has been defined and onboarded with the buyer's participation and and sort of decision-making as involved as they'd like to be with our OpenAP Data Hub. What that means is we have an open ID list. The open ID is our spy in the back end. And as a practical measure, we have to have a way to bind data that's coming in, whether the data is coming in from LiveRep or Cadent, or whether we're going to source data from a particular data provider in some environment, or whether we're receiving an ID list from IPG of Axiom IDs. Regardless, everything needs to be translated into a common ID within our data hub so that we can take advantage of all of the other services downstream. So once your audience is onboarded, then we can actually help you create the right expressions of that audience. We have an open ID audience, but Paramount and you would like to transact on video app for this campaign. Over here, we have a preference by one of the sellers for Nielsen. Over here, someone is thinking Comscore. So your base audience is an open ID audience, but because it is an open ID audience, we can very quickly create what we call expressions of that audience to distribute to the sellers that you're going to transact with, including digital. So that's really the audience portion of it. Now, all along the way, as we're actually onboarding and creating this open ID audience, you're getting insights from us. Oh, the recent change we made to the way we were thinking of defining the audience, that alters this aspect of the behavioral dynamics of this audience. So along the way, you got a lot of insight into what you're building. And that that can really be helpful. It used to be that you had to be pretty sure exactly what you wanted. Otherwise, it didn't really make sense to start building out audiences. Now, because of the way that we've got all of our crosswalks and data sharing set up, I can very easily create lots of different expressions of your audience. And there doesn't have to be this huge bar for you to hit in order for me to do that, in order for OpenAP to do that, because we can do it in in a very automated way and you can see what those expressions would look like. And then you can change your underlying OpenID audience and we can generate new expressions and you can see if if you're getting what you want out of these expressions that you're going to transact on. Okay. And in the in the open web world, you've seen a bunch of identifiers emerge as potential cookie replacements, like the Trade Desk has backed UID 2.0. There's a LiveRamp has one. There's several others. In television, there's not the cookie, so it's different. But is your ID meant to serve, play that kind of role? Or is it more about translating and making everything else interoperable rather than being an ID that you trade on. Does that, does that make sense? It does make sense. It's a great, great question. Our goal is to facilitate, to make the interoperability as efficient as possible. You know, we're not trying to be a measurement company. Those are the two ways people approach this industry right now from a tech perspective. Mm-hmm. We have an amazing mousetrap. Come on in. The water's fine. Like everything is fine in here, you know, versus... We have a very good understanding of what's happening in all of these environments, and we will assist you in putting together the right combination of these things so that you get what you're expecting from a targeting perspective, from a performance perspective, and then from a measurement 
perspective. So we're more about facilitation. And this may vary by the side of the market you're talking about and the size of the brand and stuff, but who uses your products at at agencies or sellers? Is it the head of sales? Is it like the ad ops team or is it the, the, the junior planners? Like who, who's kind of touching this stuff and what do they get? Like, do they get reports from you? What does that look like? Yeah, I would say it's, it's a pretty full investment leads might be looking into getting better understanding about the strategic audiences that the buying teams want to kind of uh, have research on before they head into negotiations. The junior folks, uh, you know, it's funny, the junior folks not so junior in terms of the responsibilities they yeah, have, right? Yeah. That's And I think that's kind of a nice element of our industry is that there's a lot of people who aren't afraid of change or experimentation Jumping and right key decision-making. Yeah, yeah. So they'll actually be interacting with typically either our team that's dedicated to helping them execute what they're trying to execute, you know, finding the right data, combining it into the right audience, getting that audience to the right size, and very soon in helping themselves through our data hub to retrieve some of that th- some of that on their own or maybe download CSV versions of some of the underlying data so they can pull it into their Excel sheets or whatever tool they have internally and start to build out even better analysis that's not just from us, but it's including data that we've provided. You mentioned, you, you know, you've, you've got about 30 people, but you're not a huge company at this moment, although you've grown a lot. Do your customers get hands-on support if they need it? Is it, do they use self-serve tools? Is there, is there something in between? Like, what is it, maybe they, it, it evolves over time? What does it look like? Yeah, our goal this year is to introduce the ability to access the underlying data in a virtual sort of privacy-centric way, potentially through Snowflake integrations, or even through the UI, as long as the data has been sanitized or aggregated at the right level. But our goal is to have our customers who are interested in that underlying data kind of help themselves to it. And the reason is because to be interested in the underlying data, you very likely have an infrastructure where you have other underlying data that you're analyzing, right? Right. But for the day-to-day I want to make an audience. I want to send a copy of it to Paramount and WBD. Typically, we have an audience solutions team who's very savvy. That's all they do. And they end up working hand in hand. There's a lot of volume at the beginning of quarters. There's a lot of volume at the beginning of years. I mean, the more we can get buyers to understand that we're happy to onboard and analyze dozens of audiences. You know, I think there's this idea because it used to be this way in order to create an audience, especially for use in linear, it was expensive, it was time consuming, and you didn't really just kind of like create a bunch of audiences just to make yourself smarter and and look at insights. Now you can do it. So our goal is to have people really understand that they can come to us, we'll onboard and activate dozens of audiences, even if you're not sure they're the ones that you want to use. Mm-hmm. Let's let let us get them all created for you so that you can, you know, have the benefit of all of the insights. And then you'll zero in on a few of them and those will be the ones that that matter. But but we really do, I mean, the further ahead we can have audiences onboarded, the better for everybody. I mean, better for us because we have more time to help people make decisions about different flavors of audiences, different data providers, different currencies. But better for the buyers and sellers, too, because they can start to see how 
their inventory is stacking up against things that people are are exploring. And the buyers, certainly, they get to a very good understanding of what does it actually mean if I transact on this currency over here and a different one over here? Like, what is that going to mean for my audience makeup? How would these two different partners characterize the audience that I made? So all of that insight is pretty valuable. Just earlier, the better, you know, and there's no Mm -hmm. cost to do that with us because it's where we've invested the most time in technology is making that process as efficient as possible. So, so do you, do you help customers make money or save money? Well, that's, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, both, right? I mean, a really good campaign makes money. A really good campaign also shouldn't be wasting money. Right. So you have really great creative and when it's in front of the right person, it performs awesome. So that performance is making you money. You have really great creative. It's being shown to a big percentage of people who do not fit kind of your customer profile, well, that's a waste of money. So I guess it's both really. Uh How does your pricing model work? I'd rather defer on the pricing to maybe some of our BD folks, but I would say, you know, our service is really designed to be a valuable addition for the buyers Uh, We're not charging buyers for making and distributing audiences. Mm -hmm. Publishers are paying when our audiences are used in a revenue-generating activity. Gotcha. So we don't have a situation like many others do where there's just a cost every time you turn around. Oh, you want to make this and send it Mm -hmm. over here, but it's not going to be generating money for anybody, but we're going to charge you for the privilege of doing that. I mean, that is not our MO. Our MO is... We have all of this data available. We have these services. We'll help you make an audience. You'll go explore it. When that audience is used, there's a transaction involved. Then we get paid so that we can continue to operate the service for everybody. But it's not cost prohibitive and it's not a cost that you have to sort of absorb when you're not doing a transaction. You may have covered off some of this already, but what is your one to two year product roadmap? We want to continue to invest in the data hub. So mm-hmm. the Data Hub is this virtual environment. It offers registration and login. One of the very complicated things about our business, especially moving into an ID-focused audience approach, is there's a lot of licensing that comes up, a lot mm-hmm. of like terms. And we have this opportunity through the Data Hub, since you can go through the data hub to access a lot of different data providers, we can standardize a lot of the licensing. I mean, you can sign an agreement for your data hub account, and then when necessary, you can execute additional addendums that might be required for some of the services that you want to have access to. We also, over the next year, will be investing heavily in the different customer access pathways. So when you think of a platform You think of web UI, charts, graphs, you know, things like that. And yes, we have that. But in this privacy-centric, ID-based world, UI isn't always the right approach to interact with the data. So really leaning into the Snowflake secure sharing and Snowflake data cleanroom approaches. And we've productized one particular approach with data cleanroom, so we call the federated data cleanroom. And it essentially means multiple participants can host their own data clean rooms and we can assist our customers in accessing and operating on data from all of them. 
to produce a single result. And that's basically the the core tenant, that capability within our data hub is what unlocked our ability to even consider, let alone building out the streaming data service that we are uh, building out for the JIC. And then we have all the traditional APIs. I mean, we've got 60 plus APIs, but we're really trying to dial those back whenever possible because we really favor the idea of data kind of staying with its owner with a nice layer across the top that will Uh facilitate your access and operations on it without violating any privacy sensibilities. So... And we think that there's a lot of legs in the federated data clean room approach. We have a number of strategic initiatives that leverage this functionality. You can imagine just letting your mind wander for a little while, what could be possible across the wide range of challenges we have in the ad industry if you could really allow for data to be used in concert with each other without it ever leaving the owner's mm. environment or violating privacy, Interesting. Uh, privacy rules. All right, and it is lightning round time. Are you ready? Okay. These should be quick off the top of your head, kind of fun ones. I will start with, what's the one competitive advantage you have versus other solutions? We focus primarily on the interoperability. Okay. More interoperability, the better. Why won't the walled gardens like Google, Facebook, and Amazon just crush you? Because I don't think they're going to focus on interoperability. Mm -hmm. They're going to focus on building the best walled garden and trying to seduce people into coming in at the expense of other other choices, which is a great, which is a fine strategy and it works. But I think choice, especially in these times, is something that people aren't going to just let go of so easily. What's your biggest product or market challenge? Lack of understanding of how data moving through a chain of custody impacts everything mm-hmm. about the effectiveness of a campaign or a different piece of media and the eventual measurement. It's the chain of custody is a very real thing that you need to be aware of and understand. So these innocuous choices you think you're making that aren't so innocuous, you begin to understand that. What's the number one reason customers choose not to use your product? I think it's lack of awareness mm-hmm. of what may be required. I think that's it. I mean, we have not had a situation where once we've had a chance to explain how a service works or what's required in order to take advantage of it, I can't remember one meeting I've been in where I haven't had to sort of unwind a little bit of preconceived notions, explain what it is we actually do. And I can't think of one situation where that hasn't resulted in a new customer. Lastly, if your company was an animal, what animal would it be? That's tricky. I would say, oh, I wish I could pick two. I like the answer shark because we're, we got to keep moving and you always have to keep moving. You know, you stop and try to protect something that you've mm-hmm. built. That's the beginning of the end. Always moving. But I don't like some of the aggressive things that being a shark might entail. I like panda bears because they appear to be very wise, kind of soft and fuzzy, but don't piss off a panda bear. <laughs> so, you know. So a panda shark of some sort. Yes, panda shark. I love that. I like it. That's the first. All right, Ed, that was great stuff. Thank you so much for for such an in-depth conversation here. You bet. Yeah, thanks a lot. Always a pleasure, Mike. Thanks a lot. Thank you for subscribing to Marketecture. New interviews are added every week at marketecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.